Yes, ask me after the service and I'll tell you. Um, but we're going to dive into it. And we're going to like soak in and bask in every word that David wrote down in Psalm 23. And, and but I was looking around the house and, and what all the we had. I saw three things just without looking, like without investigating, without opening things. Three things in our house that had Psalm 23 written on them. Psalm 23 is unique because it gives us hope. We love reminders in our life about hope. We watch the news, and you know, they, they come on now, and they say, good evening. And from that good evening till we'll see you, in, you know, after the next break at the end of it, because they're going to do it again in the next hour and tell you the same stories. From that good evening, they're going to spend the next hour telling you how it was not a good evening, right? Like it's, it's, they're going to tell you about everything and all these killings and all these things. And I think I told you this, the, the day... Katie and I moved to New Orleans, and when I tell you I had to drag a girl's feet across that Mississippi State line into Louisiana, I'm not kidding. Like, she, the thought of her moving to New Orleans, and just, I, she, country girl, she grew up around animals, you know, riding four-wheelers, getting muddy, and she was, she, and now we're, we're moving to New Orleans. And she was like, are you sure? And I was like, I, I think, I think this is God's plan for us. And she's like, are you sure? And I was like, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm sure. Are you sure? Like, it was, and I wasn't excited. I wasn't like, oh, let's go to New Orleans. Like, right now, I don't think anybody gets excited. It may be a cool place to visit, but it's a different place to live. So we, we get there, and we, I had some youth from our church that we were serving in in Mississippi help us move down there, and, and we get everything to our second-story apartment, and it's a billion and a half degrees outside, and the humidity is 9,000. And you sweat standing in the air condition. And so we, we get in there, and we've got our couch set up. we got the little entertainment center that we had at the time set up. And I plugged the TV in. And, and big city, you have, like, antenna channels. I didn't know, you know, that was a thing. That's how country I am. And so I plugged my TV in. It picks up a couple of signals. And one of them was, was the Fox News Network out of New Orleans. And our first night, so, so I turn it on. We've kind of got a couple of boxes. And we're just, we're gassed from moving because um, it's of Satan. And we're sitting there watching the news, and the first story they show is a double homicide. And the picture that they give you of the 900th block of Gentilly Boulevard, um, where, that, where that double murder was, I know that address because that was my address. And so I'm looking, out, if I go out of my apartment and I look across the railroad tracks right there by the seminary where, I, where we were, I see the house, and it still has police tape wrapped around it. That was our introduction to New Orleans. And she's like, are you sure? And I was like, at this point, no, I'm not sure, but, but we've unpacked and we're not packing it back, so we're here, right? Psalm 23, when we think about what it means, it's hope, but then there's also going to come a time in the text that we're going to unpack this morning where, where David calls us to be submissive. And you don't really catch it. If you just read over it and you're maybe, I, I, I've read this at funerals and you just kind of run through it because you got something else to do. If, if you don't slow down and listen to what David is, is begging of the Lord, you miss it. In fact, if you're there, let's, let's dive into the text. Psalm 23, David starts out and he, he begins by declaring to the Lord. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, bless the reading of your word. Father, I pray that you would minimize me and maximize you. Lord, I pray that you would use my feeble mind and my soul and my voice to speak to your people today. Lord, may we experience you today and maybe your Holy Spirit have freedom to convict and draw today in the name of Christ. Amen. I, we've got a lot to do today. I've got two points, and I know that shocks you, but I've got two points. As we think about being made for more in this series that we have found ourselves in, and we think about the reality that, that Christ said in John 10, he, he, says, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come, Jesus says, I have come, that you would have what? Life. And yet what we notice is that so few believers are actually living. You may be breathing, your heart may be beating, your organs may be functioning, but you're not living. There's a difference between existing and living. When I got saved, I wanted to live. I wanted this to be more, when I, when, I, when I accepted Christ, I wasn't church, I didn't have a church background, I didn't know Psalm 23, didn't have a coffee cup, right? I didn't know any of this. What I knew is that when I sold my life out to Jesus, he had the whole thing, and I understood, because I had some great people pour into me, I understood that, that Christ coming in you was life-changing, life-altering, and you would never be the same. And so I, when, I, when I surrendered to him, I, I wanted the whole thing. I wanted all of Jesus. I wanted the, the whole experience. And I, and I didn't, what really got on my nerves early in life, and it still does today, but it's not near as pronounced, people who were church people, but not Jesus people. You know what I'm, ta you know what I'm talking about? Some of you look at me like a calf at a new gate. I'm talking about people that... That, man, they're at church maybe every Sunday, maybe they're active in church, but you see no evidence of Christ crucified in their life. What David is asking of the Lord here, and what he declares, he starts by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He starts, and it's subtle, like if you just read that, you're just pff, over. But when David says the Lord is, is my shepherd. That's more than just vain words that we print on stuff, right? He is saying, the Lord is my protector. He's saying, the Lord is my leader. He is saying, the Lord is the sovereign being over me that without him, I cease to exist. Without God's providence, without his provisions, I can't even go. He says, so, so the Lord is my, sh he is my shepherd. Now, David's life at this point in Psalm 23, you remember his story. Like, every man thinks they're tough, but nobody's David tough, right? Like, you, you ain't wrestled a bear this morning. You ain't 
killed a lion with your bare hands. And you probably didn't smoke Goliath on the way up here either. Like, you're not David. And yet David understood he was prone to sin and he was weak. So even David, one of the manliest dudes in the Bible, is saying, Lord, you are my shepherd. You're my shepherd. What David wants us to see is the guiding character of the Lord. He wants us to see the guiding character of the Lord. That God's not up in heaven spinning this thing around on his finger like a basketball and just disengaged or unplugged. But he wants us to see that, that the Lord is intricately woven through all of creation and he also desires you. That's why he, he tells us, he says, you are my shepherd, Lord, and I want for nothing. He says, I want for nothing. Now, if we took a poll across the room, we all have stuff we want, don't we? Like if we just, if we were honest and we understood we were in church and, and we were just going to be honest before the Lord, some of us would say, I really want a new car. Some of us would say, I really want a new bass boat. I really want to hit a hole in one on a golf course. I really want to find that super great deal where they're giving away stuff free at the store, right? Some, we want stuff. We, we want Publishers Clearinghouse to knock on our door. We want things. What David's saying, he says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Let me tell you when you don't, when you don't want. What he's saying is when, when my focus is on Christ, I don't want anything else. When I've tasted and seen that the Lord Jesus is good, when, I, when I've seen all that he's done for me, when, when my focus is on the Lord, I want nothing else. Everything else is imperishable. Everything else will fade. That brand new cell phone that Apple says to come out with, guess what? In a year, they'll do it again. That brand new truck you got, guess what? They're fixing to do it again. That boat you want, they're going to do it again. They're going to keep making new ones. That, that house you have to have, that technology you want, that stuff that we, we think we have to have, it will fade. Technology fades. Brick and mortar will tear down. But when we fixate, when we focus on the Lord, he's, we want nothing. We want nothing else. We're satisfied, not in our earthly junk, but in Christ Jesus alone. In Christ Jesus alone. So when our focus is on Christ, we want for nothing else. But, but when our heart is consecrated to the Lord, we want nothing else. When, when our heart beats after Jesus, our heart doesn't long for anything else. That's why when Jesus came into your heart, he didn't want a portion. He didn't want a part. He didn't want to add to. Jesus wanted the whole thing. He wants the whole thing. He says, when your heart is consecrated to the Lord, when you're sold out, that idea of being consecrated, you're completely all in. All in. Every ounce of, of what you can give to the Lord, you, you've given to him. You've laid it down and allowed him to be king. The hardest part of Christianity, the hardest part of Christianity is submission. The hardest part. Because up until submission, it sounds amazing, right? But at submission, what God is asking of you, he says, you lay down the reins and let me pick them up. Not to be over country music this morning, but it really is Jesus take the will of my life. 
let me lay it down so that Christ can rule and reign. We're following the Lord's will. When we're following the Lord's will, we, we will want for nothing. We found ourselves completely completely surrounded and we know our purpose and we know where we're going and we're, we're faithfully following him and everything he does. Because when God's called you to something, if you will do what God's calling you to do, God will make the provisions for you to do it. He's never called you some, to do something and then said, I don't know how you're going to get there. He's never called you to go speak to people and then not make provision for you to get there. If God calls you to something, he's faithful today. Anybody ever seen God's faithfulness? I know there's been several moments in my life when I thought, I don't know how we're going to do it. Whether it was a bill we needed to pay or something we had to walk through that we didn't want to walk through, I thought, Lord, I don't know, the voice of the Lord, he says, if I've called you, you'll get it. I'm not telling you God's going to make you filthy rich. Don't hear that. God's never been about your wealth or your prosperity, okay? I don't care what the TV preacher says. God's about his glory. And when we follow the Lord's will, David said, you won't want for anything because God is enough to supply all of your needs. God will make sure that, that you have your needs met. He's faithful. He says, you won't want for anything. But he, he goes on from there. He says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. That's interesting. What, what David's getting at here this morning, he, he's telling people, and, and this, is, this came out of, of his journals, out of his hymnals, his, his songs of praise that he accumulated. He is telling people, the Lord makes me lie down. Do you know it can be a sin to be too busy? It can be a sin to be too busy. Now, I'm not saying that so that you go home and tell your wife today, man, no, I'm napping because I don't want to sin. That's not what I'm saying. It's not, don't use that today. Don't you put that on me. Brother Jeff said, no, he didn't. Because the reality, why, why it can be a sin to be too busy, is equal a sin to be lazy. It's equal a sin to be lazy. There's moments, that moment I, I mentioned, when Katie and I moved from Meridian, Mississippi to New Orleans, that was the first time in our marriage that I was not serving, I wasn't on staff at a church. That was a different day for me. We got down there, I think we moved on a Saturday, and I'm a good Baptist, so I was at church on Sunday. Didn't even have my church clothes out, but I was at church. And uh, we went to, to Calvary Baptist Church down in New Orleans, and, and I, I'm still sitting there, and I, my heart hurts because I'm, I'm away from home. I'm, I'm as far west as, as I've ever lived, apart from my family, and and we're, we're trying to figure all of this in. And what we had to embrace was this was a season where the Lord was making us lie down. We walked through a very tough time walking out of Mississippi and into New Orleans and had a lot of hurt, had a lot of heart pain coming out of there. And so for eight months, the Lord made us lie down. It wasn't always fun. It wasn't, there was moments where, where churches would call and say, hey, we want you to come do this. And, and I'd get really excited and, and just the Lord would be like, that's not you. In that eight months, I turned about 10 churches down for various staff positions. Not because they weren't paying well, not because they didn't have the people, but because God wasn't in it. It would have been in vain. 
the Lord forced us to lie down. And we look back at that season and now, now and go, that was one of the most productive seasons for our marriage. That was one of the most productive seasons for us spiritually. For the first time at that point, for the first time in six and a half, seven years, I wasn't teaching and preaching every week. In fact, I was going and I was just, people were teaching and preaching to me. I was like you. I got to sit there and absorb. We got to grow spiritually like, like we had not done before. And the Lord made us lie down. I'm the kind of guy, and where I can get sinful quick is I like to kind of always be moving. And I don't mean like packing and moving because you heard my stance on that. I'll, I'm always, what's next? I'm always, what's next? I, when things get quiet, it makes me nervous. I, I like to be moving. I like to have motion. I like to be, like my truck doesn't sit still long. I'm always going and always going and always going. So, so in moments where the Lord is saying, lie down, rest in me, it, it does, it's hard for me. But the Lord knows what's good for me. The Lord knows what's best for me. And being so exhausted that you can't do anything, that's probably not good for you. Being so overwhelmed in life that you're useless in the kingdom, that's not good for you. So if you're walking through a season and you feel like I'm just in this place where the Lord has me and there, I don't see anything in the, the, the front window, I can't tell what's coming at me, enjoy that. Rest there. Now, but now, for, for the other 99% of the room, it's time to get busy. The Lord may have made you lay down, but he's fit to kick you in the rear end to get you up, all right? Time to get busy doing things for the kingdom. It's time to get busy serving the Lord. You can't just lay there. Yeah, it's good to be in the presence of Jesus resting, but it's also really good to be in the presence of Jesus serving, doing something for the kingdom. So he makes us... He makes us lie down. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Lord, it makes me lie down, but then he's going to lead me in paths of righteousness, meaning that laying time was temporary because the Lord has a path for me that I'm going to walk, and this path of righteousness isn't your righteousness. The Lord's not building you up so you're some super saint. It's not for your glory. The Lord's not imploding you or, or puffing you up so that, so that you can say, look how awesome I am. But the Lord's doing this for his glory. In fact, our scripture says it's for his namesake. So you growing in your faith isn't so much about you as much as it is the Christ that's working in you. It's not about you. In fact, that's why... That's why most of the New Testament is dedicated to the philosophies so that Christ can increase. That's why Paul said, I must die so that Christ may live. I must get rid of who I am. I must leave all of me behind. In fact, Paul would say, you're becoming a new creation. You're putting on this new suit. You're putting on these new clothes, and they're not about you. Not about you. This whole thing, this, this idea of being made for more is the realization that, man, this isn't my story. This isn't anything about me. It's about Jesus. If we would buy that, if we would buy that this life is about Jesus and living for his glory and, and being built up in his righteousness, because you're not righteous. 
Like, if we need to check your righteousness, we'll pull your tax returns, right? Well, some of us get a little shady during that part of the year. We'll be deducting stuff that's crazy. It's not about you because we're prone to sin. We're, we're prone to messing up. It's about the righteousness in Christ. It's not for us. It's for his glory, not mine. Point two, right? Uh, that was point one. Point two is not near as long, okay? I, we see God's character in the way that he leads us, and the way that he guides us, but we, we have to see how David wanted our response to God's leading to be. It starts and it's rooted in submission. We do not like that. We don't like submission because submission says we're not in control, and yet we want to be in control. We want to have our input. We, we think somehow God couldn't get by without us, and that's never been the case. God hasn't waited for you to get here to have authority. He's always been in control. And what he is saying is submit. We must obey, and we must become honoring his submission. So when the Lord says stay, you stay. When the Lord says stay, you stay. I hear a lot people they tell me things, and I just kind of shake my head at times. This is one that, that gets on my nerves. If we ever do the God Never Said That series, um, this would be an addition. I hear people praying like this. I've been praying about something, and if the Lord doesn't shut that door or doesn't make it happen, then I'll know that's his will for us not to walk that way. And the only problem with that is, like that sinful thinking and we don't just walk it away hoping that the Lord shuts it down before we get there. We don't strategize and plan that we're going to go this way. And if the Lord just happens to stop us right before we get there, then we'll know it wasn't his will. Because the Lord may just turn you over to your sinfulness. We don't start moving and then start praying. We begin to pray, asking the Lord's guidance. Because once you take that step, you're as redneck as I am. Well, we get our mind to something, we'll tear it up, getting after it. What teenager has ever had something four-wheel drive, came up to a mud hole and go, hmm, let me, let me think? Right? No. We don't, we don't wait and, and become, we don't wait. No, we're, we're gassing it down, locking the hubs in, let's do this thing. We don't wait on the Lord. And yet, part of us submitting to the Lord is being obedient and honoring through submission. Because we don't, we don't buck back. We don't take those steps and then ask, Lord, are you in this? We don't get to the destination and be like, well, God, you know, we didn't blow a tire on the way here. It must have been your will. No. No, you can be there in complete disobedience. We must submit and obey. That's, that's why he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Can I tell you, this is free, not even in my notes this morning. Um, sometimes a believer will walk through valleys of the shadow of death. The Christian life is never absent from conflict. The Christian life is never absent from trials. The Christian life is never absent from bad days. If you think getting your life surrendered to the Lord and you're going to have it by and by all the way to glory, um, I don't know what Bible you've read, but it's not this one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David had walked this valley several times. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though it's dark, even though it's scary, even though I could be prone to death, and even if death happens, he says, I fear no evil. That doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen to you. It doesn't mean that evil is not going to exist, but he says, I will not fear. As I'm walking through it, that means we will walk through them. There's no magic eject button. God may not just reach in and grab you out. You may have to walk through it, but can I tell you that every trial you walk through is good for you? Every trial you walk through is good for you? And you're like, well, how's that, preacher? That's crazy. It's going to push you further into the arms of Jesus. You're going to see God's mercy and grace poured out on you. You're going to experience love and steadfastness that you had never thought possible because you're being submissive, even through trials. And listen, I've heard this too. This may be part two of our next God Never Said That series. Um, I've heard people say things like, in the midst of trials, they'll, they'll say, well, the Lord just don't want me to, to do anything. He's just going to keep me oppressed. That's not God's will for you. God's never said he wants you oppressed. He's never said he wants you conflicted. What he has said, though, is he wants you holy. Can I say that again? What he has said is he wants you holy. And if he has to take you through the valley of the shadow of death so that you will be holy, he will. He will. He's about, he's about you being holy. So we obey through honor and we obey through submission. But submission will lead to confidence. Submission will lead to confidence. If you see the hand of God working and working and working, when those trials come, when that tribulation comes, when those bad days come, you know God's in control. You know God's able. You know God's faithful. You that valley again. You remember that the Lord has been with you here in the past. He said he'll be with you in the future. So you can have confidence in knowing that God is with you and our God is able. Yeah, I was expecting a little more now. Our God is able, and he is there, and he's faithful. He's a promise-keeping God who is not prone to leave you. Our submission will lead to confidence, which is why David wrote, I fear no evil, though David had people after his life. You think you've had a bad day? David's got people wanting to kill him that would bring them joy to watch the blood come out of his body, and yet he's saying, I have no evil. Fear. fear. Why does he have no fear? He says, because the Lord's with me. David wasn't some super... He could have been. He killed a bear. He could have been like, do something. I killed a bear. What'd you do today? But he, he says, no, no, no. It's not based off me. David's saying it's not anything that I've done. I fear no evil because the Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Then he, he closes this section of scripture by allowing us to see that submission leads to blessings. When we're submitted to the Lord, look at me with me at verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, the Lord, you got to get this. He says, the Lord prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemies. He's, what do he say? Because you, you may not catch that. He said, though adversity is standing at the gate, though armies are begging for my blood, he says, the Lord has prepared a table in abundance. Right? He's not just talking like a ham sandwich. He's saying that the Lord has prepared a table before my enemies. And what is almost a boasting thing here, but he's not boasting in himself. He's boasting in the Lord. He's saying, the Lord has prepared a table before me, and I will sit here, and I will eat, and I will eat in front of my enemies. And though they will look at me, and they will be furious, the Lord has set this, and I'm here. Friends, let me tell you. There will be people, when you take a stand for holiness, who stand against you. Teenagers, when you go back to school in two weeks, there are people, I know, whoo, summer's over. And all the parents said, amen. <laughs> I wasn't in my notes. I, we didn't practice that. That just worked out well. Now, when you take a stand for holiness and righteousness, when you take a stand for godliness, when you take a stand to be more like Christ than you've ever been, and you take a stand to be sharing your faith with your friends, people will come against you. But the Lord's prepared the table. For David, David's able to sit here and go, I sit in my palace, and I am blessed beyond measure. I have food, I have family, and in the faces of my enemies, I'm here. Because I don't fear. In the face of my enemies, and the ones who want me dead, the ones who want me dethroned, in the face of my enemies, I'll sit at the table. I'll sit at the table. I will bask in the abundance of the Lord. Then he says this. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all my days. He's sitting there, table, in front of his enemies. He says, Goodness and mercy of the Lord will be with me all of my days. God never saved you for a season. He's never saved you for just a season. He saved you eternally. So God's goodness and his mercy will be with you through eternity. That's why he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whew. That's why we use that at funerals. So we use that text. It's hope. Did David think he was going to be immortal and live forever? No. Did David think there would come a day when he wasn't king? He probably knew that, that that could be a reality. He saw it happen to Saul. But he said, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all of my days. And he says, no matter what happens, David had a, a kingdom mindset he says, no matter what happens, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No matter if that valley and that shadow of death, no matter if that's my end, if that, if that, if that shadow of death becomes a reality for David, he knew that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David realized he was made for more. Are you following the Lord's leading? 
Are you trusting the Lord for your salvation? Do you know that you'll spend that eternity that, that David talked about? Will you live in the presence of the Lord forever? Forever is a long time to be wrong. Let's pray. Father, we pray over our time this morning. God, we pray that you would use today for your kingdom and your glory. And if there's someone here who has never trusted in you, that you would give them the boldness to step out and come make that decision. God, let them have the boldness and the audacity to be able to proclaim that you are their God. Now, for those who need to join our church today, we pray you give them boldness to do so. For those who need to surrender to ministry, Father, we pray that, that you would work there as well. We trust you today, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.